Today is November 1st, 2023. This is the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm your host, David Berlin. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Blockchain Journal. Our mission is to help enterprises figure out how it is that blockchain and distributed ledger technology can make other enterprises and global brands more competitive in their industries and drive new and accretive business outcomes. We have a lot of content on our website, technical content, content about the different NFT programs that are out there and how other enterprises are putting those programs to work to improve their business outcomes. And joining me today is Sophie Waldman, one of our newest writers on the Blockchain Journal team. Sophie is very experienced when it comes to working with a variety of the NFT programs out there. In reviewing the customer journey, I spotted a review that she did of the Starbucks customer journey when it came to the Starbucks Odyssey program. And as soon as I read the review, I said, I need to contact her and see if she'll do some writing for us here on Blockchain Journal. And she agreed. And so now we're off to the races. She's written a few articles for us and we're looking forward to more. Sophie, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And of course, excited to be uh, writing and contributing to Blockchain Journal. So thank you again for that opportunity and excited to be here in this conversation today. Yeah, so awesome. It's just great to have you on board. And I know that you and I have you know had a lot of conversations and uh, gone back and forth on different programs that are out there. I think when I read your profile, it said you were a part-time DGEN. So for people who in our audience that don't even know what a DGEN is, let's start there. What's a DGEN? Yeah, that's a great question. A, a DGEN is short for what I'm embarrassed to admit, a degenerate, which is typically <laughs> considered somebody who in, in this space, in the Web3 space, probably buys crypto instead of US dollar and prefers to hold JPEGs instead of physical art. So a uh, DGEN also to me is the fact that I not only can help brands with their strategy and marketing and all that comes with this, is I also have a lot of experience myself in purchasing these NFTs and going through these metaverse experiences, creating wow. wearables and being able to actually have both sides of the equation um, as a user and as the brand. Yeah, so, so the word degenerate or degen reminds me that o over the years, there are generations of people who somehow get labeled as something and then they begin to wear that as a badge of honor and it becomes less of a, um, you know, a derogatory word and more of like, hey, I'm in that group. You know, I'm thinking back to like slackers and I mean, totally. it's just like people somehow they take something that was maybe originally thrown at them as an insult and they turned it into, you know, a moniker for going forward. I don't even know what the roots or the, you know, the history of the word degen uh, are. Do, do you know where that comes from? Or you just know that you are I, one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. It kind of just picked up from this crypto space. Like everyone was saying, yeah. oh, you bought that NFT, you bought that meme coin, you're you're a degen or you're you're just being a degenerate with all this uh, digital stuff. <laughs> well, so... Um, you said you're a part-time degen. Why are you part-time? Like, are you doing something else the other part of the time? Or do you actually now consider yourself to be more of a full-time degen? Are you so in it that like, uh, 
you, you you're ready to roll with the rest of the full time degenerates. I guess degenerates. that's the the part time comes from kind of the point that we just touched on that you know I'm very serious most most of the times as a you know professional businesswoman and the work that I do. Uh, but then when it comes to kind of those uh, NFT experiences myself, I just as much am the user and customer as well. So part time I'm wearing the hat building, and then other half of the time I get to just appreciate the experience and give some customer feedback as well. Okay. So we've been going back and forth on a couple different programs that you've been engaged with. And uh, it's been very cool to uh, watch you work with some of those programs and see what you come up with. What's the latest? What What's the thing that really got you excited and you had a lot of fun with? And what about that experience made you think, hey, this could be the future for some of these big companies yeah there's there's been thing after thing um i mean when everything kind of first started picking off and we saw some of these bigger brands coming into the space it was very much so i would say capitalizing on that hype it's it was very much so a fad or a trend at the time everyone had to quickly jump to it and now you know two years later pretty much from that big boom We've seen a lot more innovation come about that's more focused on like providing true value for the customer, potentially a more immersive brand experience, getting to learn more about what goes into the products that we're consuming. And so seeing you know, the this trend now, I, I think everything is much more authentic. It's much more meaningful. It has more value for the users. And so if you look at something like the Tina J job, which of course we're going to get into, that was a really fun experience because not only did you get to, of course, you know, purchase a pair of sneakers, but you really got to walk through the whole process with Nike and they were there every step of the way. Um, and so it really just made a fun experience from purchasing digital stuff first, more utility to potentially come in the future, and then also receiving a physical pair of shoes within that time frame as well. Oh, wow. So much to unpack there. So let's first start off with... You mentioned Nike. So this Tina J thing is a Nike initiative. And uh, what, what, what is Tina J? Like, what's that all about? Yeah, Tina J, which is funny. When I first heard that their Dot Swoosh um, first physical collection was going to be called Tina J, I honestly was like, oh, no, this this sounds like it's going to be a, a funky product. I don't know what Tina J is. I thought it was maybe a person. So I'm like, oh, maybe we're meeting an artist named Tina J or a designer named Tina J. <laughs> I had no idea. And most people thought the same too. They were like, what is Tina J? Then when they did the big, uh, the first swoosh, swoosh session, which is what Dot Swoosh does to, it's a live event that they um, allow all of their visitors or users on the sneakers app to come in and listen to they revealed that Tina J actually was an acronym and it stood for this is not a JPEG. And that's when I was like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm down with Tina J. I love the name. I think it was really cute that they pulled from something kind of like D-Gen, so cultural to the space, but yet made it very much so welcoming for anybody who might not know about this stuff and just to call it the Tina J sneaker. So you mentioned, uh, for, first of all, I think, you're sort of getting at that transition that the industry is going through from two years ago to now where literally Nike's out there saying, this is not a JPEG. This is not what NFTs originally started out with. It's something very different. And then the uh, the other thing you mentioned, and I just want to make sure our audience understands the structure here. You mentioned dot swoosh. What is dot swoosh? Yeah, so 
Yes. So Dot Swoosh is part of Nike's virtual studios. And they are the Web3 native kind of brand under the Nike umbrella. And so Dot Swoosh launched originally last year, last November. So pretty much they're about to be celebrating their one year anniversary. And uh, ever since, they've kind of been slowly handholding and uh, unveiling like what the actual platform and roadmap to Dot Swoosh will be. This, of course, was the first physical drop. However, prior to that, they allowed everybody who signed up for beta access to receive a member ID. And that was kind of your piece within the ecosystem that will relate to you and create your own like digital identity within the space. And so everyone was able to customize that first word. And then they got dot swoosh, kind of like a domain name added to the end of it. And you also were minting that specific member ID as a token. And that was the first token that you could mint through dot swoosh and have connected to your wallet for the long run. Okay, so let me, I'm just going to lean back a little bit here and paint a picture for other global brands and enterprise users that are watching yeah. this. You've got Nike, the company, and they decided they were going to start engaging their customers with blockchain technology and NFTs, non-fungible tokens. They have, you mentioned a group inside of the company called Nike Virtual Studios. This is the organization that's essentially responsible for these Web3 initiatives. And then they created uh, an entirely new brand called Dot Swoosh, which is essentially the brand under which these Web3 initiatives are occurring. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Okay, great. And so then the, one of those Web3 initiatives that involved uh, an NFT is this Tina J, which again stands for this is not a JPEG. And you went into the dot swoosh program you got your credentials that showed up as an nft itself which is kind of neat uh and now take us through to what happened next with the tina j uh nft yes so before they launched tina j or at least before we knew exactly what tina j would be there was a collection of r force one boxes and those boxes pulled inspiration from Nike's Air Force One silhouette. And they also invited um, a bunch of community members, anybody who had a dot swoosh um, member ID, to participate in a campaign where they could create a mood board for kind of the like inspiration or colors or whatever they wanted to go into this sneaker. So you actually didn't need to know how to design a sneaker. You didn't need any specific creative or design skills. You just had to kind of say, here's what I'm envisioning. I like blues and skies and grass or this kind of texture, this kinds of inspiration from other, other shoes that maybe Nike has produced in the past. And from there, uh, Nike chose a couple of those designers to actually fly out to the headquarters in Beaverton, Ohio, uh, Beaverton, Oregon, and produce these shoes. And so they sat, they, four creators won. They sat down with Nike designers. They were able to create their first shoe. A lot of them were not sneaker designers or had any access to these kinds of opportunities before. Nike just wanted to kind of bring people in, show them their work processes and provide them with really this once in a lifetime opportunity through Dot Swoosh. And um, so that kind of kicked off the Dot Swoosh platform. And then when they launched the R Force One boxes, which were digital boxes, only um a couple of those winners shoes were actually displayed within those so the r force one collection was a whole bunch of randomized virtual boxes 
minted them as a traditional NFT. However, a lot of the complexities there were definitely hidden on the back end and you were able to mint up to four. So every single member could mint up to four. They were all unrevealed, meaning you had no idea what would be inside of the box. And um, yeah, that's that was the R Force One collection. And so you that then uh, led into be, being yeah, you being a member of Dot Swoosh, you were essentially given the opportunity to acquire these four NFTs, these bo- these virtual boxes that were unrevealed. Uh, I just want to back up one second. I've tried to join the Dot Swoosh program. This is a, there's like a waiting list to get in, and uh, I've been waiting for a long time. With a, essentially been closed out. I, I have no emails, nothing to indicate that I'm anywhere near getting into the program. So I just want to point out this program is really very exclusive. It's only available to a handful of Nike's customers because so many people are probably on a waiting list, like I am. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. I do know that the le- the waiting list is rolling, and so they definitely are bringing in new hmm. people into the the program as quick as possible. I just don't know how mm-hmm. how quick that necessarily might be. Um, I do know that yeah. beta did open with like a real focus and priority on bringing in communities from Nike's like DEI initiatives, and so they were really prioritizing educating people and getting them these they were they were hosting sessions actually all across the states in person and helping people understand kind of the the fundamentals of the blockchain why they were getting into gaming and digital assets Mm -hmm. and where this was all headed and then um with the program launching they specifically gave out those codes to anybody in those neighborhoods or who attended those sessions And then also um, prioritize some other communities that Nike has like existing partnerships with to bring in more people from outside of this Web3 native world as well. Uh huh. Okay. And uh, well, you were fortunate enough to get in early to the uh, off the waiting list and get into the program. I'll just wait and hopefully one day I'll be able to join. But the time being, yeah, hopefully soon. But the time being, you had these four boxes. They were unrevealed. What happened next? Yes. So you actually had the choice to reveal them. Speaking on my personal experience, I had four boxes. I un- I unboxed two of them. However, two are still shut to this day. And there's a lot that are still shut too. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just kind of felt like, let me save some fun for later on. And the sneakerhead and physical collector in me was like, well, if I don't unbox it, of course, there's going to be a little bit more value. But again, that's all speculation, totally just playing into the gamification and the platform. Um, so I unboxed two. I was pretty happy to see that I had two different colorways from those unboxings. So one of them was like a black sneaker that had a really cool purple accent and animated lightning bolt, like lightning coming down on it. And then the other one, which was pretty cute, is actually a, um, a, I think it's called the generative something heart heart something and it's a black shoe with some pink accents and it actually has an animated heart on it like a little like think of like a valentine's day candy heart that's on the back of the shoe and it kind of like breaks open into a million pieces and then comes back together which again no physical shoe can do something like that so it was pretty cool um and then with those you you also received the 3d files and so at the moment, that's kind of the only real uh, utility that's been unlocked. However, within the dot swoosh interface, you can see that there are some loading 
utilities that um, have yet to kind of like glow, but the uh, 3D files is the one that is already activated, meaning that I dupe the 3D files to those can plug those into either like render, 3D modeling, gaming platforms, and, and that type of stuff. Did you have to pay any money in order to acquire those boxes originally? Yes, each of the boxes costed about $20. It was like 19 something to be exact, which was a year symbolic to the brand. And um, you could mint up to five or up to four. So it was just under like 100 bucks if you wanted to max mint, but you received up to four. Um, otherwise, it would have been like $20 for just one box. Okay. And during your description, you said something like a sneakerhead like me. What's a sneakerhead? Yes. That's a that's a brilliant question. So <laughs> sneak, sneakerhead is somebody who is just a big sneaker enthusiast. Um, sneakers were have been something I've been collecting forever. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, and it was just kind of the culture to like look at someone's shoes before their outfit. For me, I always chose my outfit based off of what shoes I was going to wear first. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to kind of this like evolution into this digital age that we're now living in it made perfect sense to me solely because i was living this kind of non-fungible physical world my whole life with these collectibles and i just had this pre-existing knowledge that digital assets could you know better all of the problems that i was facing and so mm. if you look at like traditional sneaker collections and how the sneaker market moves there's a 500 billion dollar counterfeit good market that all of these brands and their customers are fighting. So there's a lot of fears in, is this product real? How can I get it authenticated? Who owned it before me? Was there really only one owner before me? Was it really kept in pristine condition? Is this even real? Um, and so there's a lot of those problems that the sneaker market is currently facing. And we have to deal with third party, either authenticators, third, any, any middleman who will you know, do that service for you and pay for it. So not only are the brands losing, but also the customers have to pay for this to ensure that it is legitimate and ensure that it is, you know, a genuine product of Nike, for instance. And it, it was just, you know, really unfortunate when people did discover that their products weren't real and, you know, they already paid that premium price for it. So those were kind of some of the problems that the sneaker community was facing. And when NFTs came around, to me, it made perfect sense that this, you know, the blockchain and smart contracts were going to help with this problem. And specifically in tying all of these digital pieces to a physical item, just because it's going to unlock much more, you know, value for the customer there. And the brand. Right. And they, and they call that, I, we, we hear this term now, uh, these days called fidgetal, where you're tying a physical item to something digital. And more often than not, in the blockchain world, that digital item is the nft so they kind of match one another so i've heard that but i i guess one of the things i want to touch on there based on what you said is that nike and and in in general the sneaker industry there there's this kind of collectability mojo or momentum that was already in place when nfts came along and so nfts kind of are about collectability but there was there was definitely some commonality there. Like, it makes me wonder if certain industries where that commonality doesn't already exist, where there isn't a lot of collectability already, whether or not NFTs really lend themselves to those industries. And and I do think of the Starbucks Odyssey program because they have, they have an NFT program. You have some experience with it. And I, 
as much experience as I have with it, I was able to get off the waiting list in that case. I still don't really find anything to be terribly collectible. I know there's a few people out there who are collecting coffee mugs, but those don't really seem to be a part of the program that much. And it just seems like the momentum that Nike has and other companies, Adidas, have with the collectability of their physical items is something that could carry them through success with NFTs. I, I, what do you think about that? Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, it's not it's not going to be a perfect use case for everybody, but I look at some of the stuff that like legal firms are doing with smart contracts and real estate and mortgages and and pretty much anything that you used to get physical papers for that would be tucked away to collect dust can become digitalized and placed mm -hmm. on the blockchain now. And so I just think there's different use cases. But when it comes to collecting something, 100% do the brands like, for instance, sneakers have so much, they, they resonate so much to this. And that's mostly because, honestly, of like the market the tradability aspect to these, because when you look at like physical, like to me, supply and demand made sense because of sneakers. So I understood that if a brand was charging a hundred bucks for something and I purchased it at retail for a hundred bucks and, you know, there was someone else who didn't get that shoe from them, they had to pay the premium just mm -hmm. because the supply was less than the demand. And that's what you see with NFTs. And that's where you see the prices fluctuate all the time. And it really is just that similar like sneaker collector, sneaker market model that was applied in a digital setting for NFTs to really take off. But um, kind of like I alluded at in the beginning with what brands are doing nowadays, it's finding more ways to provide the value for the consumer. So it's not just like, how can we mint out this collection? It's how can we actually create more value? And in this case, what Datswoosh did is, you know, they, they brought you into the story. They were providing opportunities. They were educating. They were giving you access to sneakers that other Nike enthusiasts were going to want, but only Dot Swoosh members could have. And so to me, they really made perfect use case of creating value as opposed to just extracting it and, you know, tapping into that kind of like speculation and mark and like volatility of the markets. They, they were like, we will make these soul bound tokens. We will not launch the marketplace from day one, which there still is no marketplace to trade these assets on. We don't know if there ever will mm -hmm. be. We don't know if they will be even tradable in the future. Um, and so it kind of removes that whole layer of speculation there. And, you know, viewing it like, oh, I invested in this. And it's more of just like, here's the product you bought. Here's what you'll get. Here's what you'll eventually get. And, you know, if you want to be a part of this experience, feel free to, you know, participate. But there's no, you bought this, you're promised this. And, you know, there's, there's all the speculation that may come with that. Understood. Well, I, I do think that, uh, you know, what, what we're seeing here is like a, a cultural shift in the relationship between companies, big brands, fashion brands, sports fashion brands, and their customers. It sounds like they're yeah. trying to say, and use NFTs to do this, by the way, they're trying to find a balance where it's less take and a little more give. Like, you know, whereas before it was always about what can we sell to this customer? Now it's a little bit more about what can we give to this customer? And I think it's fascinating just to watch you go through the process. So let's get back to the process with Nike. You revealed the boxes. What happened next? Yes. So once they revealed that the Tina J would be dropping, they kind of released some kind of alpha information to allude to the customer. Something's coming. Here's how you make sure you're involved or here's how to make sure you qualify ahead of it. 
So you had to um, not only, you know, purchase one of those boxes, you didn't need to purchase all four, you had to purchase just at least one. And you had to reveal at least one of those, meaning the unboxing of it by October 16th. And so you had some time to do so if perhaps you, you know, purchased a box and didn't want to open any of them. Um, I, in that case, already had unveiled one of them. So I already qualified from the start to get access to the Tina J collection. Um, however, a lot of people did go and unbox at least one just to make sure that they could qualify. Um, and then once you were qualified, you were able to participate on the in the drop, which would be on October 20th. All right. Well, uh, so then it was just a couple weeks is. ago. Yeah. Where we, let's let's get a look at at the Tina J. Do you have it? You have it there in front of you? Of course I do. So here is the shoe itself which mm -hmm. of course is the physical. So as you can see, I don't know how much of a uh, quote unquote sneaker head you might be, but um, <laughs> Not this, much. this leather, this black leather right here is actually much more premium than the white leather, which is the traditional Air Force one here. So um, as you can see, it's kind of like a more marbled higher end leather. I've worked with a lot of luxury you know, brands and products before, and I've never seen Nike use such high quality leather here. You also could see the icy sole which is that blue right there. It's kind of like a translucent, hence the icy blue. Um, mm. They also did a little bit of embroidering there with the dot swoosh. So you see the traditional swoosh logo, and then you also get the dot swoosh right there. When I wore these out, I got a lot of questions. What's what's the, the they, they said period swoosh, and, and I had to, you know, clarify that it was <laughs> dot swoosh. Um, and then here's like a cool little, I don't know, See that there but they do a uh, laces accessory which is like also known as a charm um that dot swoosh is on there as well i also changed the laces to blue i actually have the black here as well just in case you're more of a traditional sneaker collector and not Very into the cool. blue colors yet and then last but not least on the back you have the this is not a jpeg so you're you're making me. I'm having a serious case of FOMO here. You know, like 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 you're making me want to become a sneakerhead and and be a part of this. I'm kind of jealous. You're showing off these shoes that you got. You know, you only paid twenty dollars for the the NFT. You're wearing them, which surprises me because I, I would be like, I'm gonna put these in a glass case, you know, and hermetically seal it so that they. Which nothing... many people do. Yeah. But uh, so, so, you know, um, in some ways, I think that could be a little bit of the intended effect, which is it's it's kind of like that, uh, you know, the, the vel you know, the velvet rope syndrome, which is like, boy, that person's got exclusive access. How, how do I get behind the velvet rope and get some of that same exclusive access, experience some of these same benefits for twenty dollars? Like, like I definitely have some FOMO. And so I guess my, my, my question to you, Sophie, is, you know, you seem excited about it, but if you lean pretty far back, what's, how do you feel this is changing your relationship with Nike as a customer of Nike, as somebody who was once a sneakerhead, as somebody who, you know, picked all of their clothing out based on the shoes they were going to wear that day? Has this changed that relationship in a way that other enterprises and global brands should be looking and saying, hey, this is there's there's something here. There's something about the relationship that is strengthening between the bond between you and the brand Nike that other brands should be trying to do with their customers. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with what you just said there. So 
the way that I look at it, again, coming from that sneakerhead mentality, but also just the collector in general, is that every single sneakers drop that Nike has had thus far has millions of bots. And so you yourself are fighting a whole bunch of programmed bots that are probably going to beat you to getting access to all of these shoes. This was the first time in history, and I've been a sneakers uh, member since 2016. This is the first time that I was able to successfully go to the sneakers app on drop day and know I would get a pair of these shoes. I knew that there were no bots that were going to be there. And even if they were, I mean, I would be ready to fight them because I had the tokens that I needed. I qualified in the ways that I needed to, to be able to have access to purchasing the Tina J sneaker, which was an, a huge thank you. I don't even think a lot of Swoosh members um, may have even like recognized the value there, but coming from someone who does try those sneaker drops weekly, if not daily, it is very hard to what they what they say got them in one of those drops you typically don't you typically lose and a lot of the times the bots sadly win and a lot of times you know anyone who has kind of like more in-depth kind of just like access to these drops wins as well and then the average customer has to end up paying secondary which takes me back to you know where all of those other problems come from when you're buying from a secondary market yeah so you said that you are a sneakers member and i just want to clarify for our audience members that sneakers spelled s-n-k-r-s is an app a mobile app that nike i believe has traditionally used yes to make these limited edition drops available to their customers and these sneaker heads and so if you're a member of the app or if you're a user of the app that's where you would see a typical physical drop but this is as you're pointing out yep. sort of the first time that they managed access to that physical drop by incorporating blockchain technology and requiring uh, that 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 somebody a participant have an a former a, an NFT that was issued earlier that you paid twenty dollars for and revealed it. There are all all sorts of conditions here, but by what they call token gating, they kept the bots out and allowed people like you in and gave you fairer access to participate in that limited drop, right? Exactly. That was exactly the case. So this was mm -hmm. actually the first um, token gated to an extent um, drop that sneakers app has ever participated in or ever even, you know, ran by Nike. And so they the app itself was tied to pretty much the non-custodial uh, polygon wallets that were on the back end of dot swoosh. And so your um, Nike ID, which is connected to the sneakers app, is also connected to your dot swoosh ID. And so with those two IDs, um, it kind of did the fact check through the blockchain for the dot swoosh holders and then gave you access to your when using sneakers app with your Nike ID. Yeah, so sense. when you when you say it did the sort of the fact check, it, it basically what it did was it confirmed that you, in fact, uh, were both uh, a user of the sneakers application at the same time that you were a holder of the original yep. box NFTs in a way that, okay, you meet the criteria, we're going to let you in. Also, they had to look for the fact that it was open. But that that this token gating, I think, is something that you're not hearing about too often 
but it is going to be a theme that we hear more about because totally. I'm noticing more brands and enterprises experimenting with this idea of using token gating to get access to something else. Could be another drop. It could be a physical event. There's all sorts of things they're, they're yeah. doing uh, in terms of using NFTs for this idea of token gating. 100%. Token gating is kind of changing the way. And what we were touching on earlier with making you know, the customers feel more a part of the brand and, you know, build on that kind of just like organic enthusiast of the brand or supporter of the brand. Token gating is definitely a way to do so because you're not only, you know, like rewarding them with the NFT, but you're also giving them that exclusive access that you just touched on. Well, listen, Sophie, we could go on forever because there's some other programs that you've been playing around with. I know I've been playing around some programs, but we've taken so much of your time already and I feel like let's save the the next discussion or, you know, the Williams F1 racing program, which we both are playing around with. Let's save that for another discussion. Uh, we've covered so much ground already and I'll let you go. So thank you so much for cool. writing the articles. For those of you out there who want to see what Sophie has written so far, you just have to come to blockchainjournal.com and you can, uh, you know, click around, you'll find the articles that she's been writing about these different programs. We'll be publishing this video there. There'll be more videos like this one coming. So Sophie, thanks so much for your time today. Of course, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you. Okay, and for those of you who are discovering Blockchain Journal for the first time, we sure would appreciate a like or subscribe. We don't really make any money on this. We're just doing this to help other enterprises understand what their journeys are gonna be like. And so when you do that, it helps them uh, find our content and learn more about how blockchain can make them more uh, competitive in their different markets. So thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you at the next podcast.